All right. Can you hear me? Can you see me? Uh, yes, my name is Nicole. Good morning, church. Uh, this is really weird, being up here and not actually seeing any of you, and, um, but praying that you guys are watching online and seeing us here. I have to say a really big kudos to this team who is here every day, every Sunday without you guys here. Um, they're kind of phenomenal. So um, big kudos to you guys for being here. Yeah. <laughs> I also just wanted to add that um, the camera does add 10 pounds. So um, just beware that this is not how I know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that. Uh, there's that movie or there's somewhere where someone goes, yeah, I, you, you know, remember the camera at 10 pounds and someone goes, well, how many cameras are on you? Um, <laughs> anyways, bad joke. Uh, yes, my name is Nicole and I want to invite my family on the stage. For those of you who do know us, you can see our faces and how our kids have grown. Come on, girls. And for those of you who don't know us or we haven't been able to see you since we've been back, um, I want you to come and see them and see what they look like. Uh, they were born into this church. They were babies, just like baby Xander um, into this church. So I hope you can see them. You guys can try wave up there or wave to wave over there. This one is Amina. This is Mercy. And this is Big Daddy Kelvin. <laughs> you guys wave. <laughs> All right. Um, we are the OPO family, and we are your Junction Church missionaries, and um, we're really grateful to be here right now. Uh, every time around this year, I start thinking a lot about Christmas, and now that we have a family, I start thinking a lot about uh, what does this mean, and what do we do, and how do we celebrate, and how do we make it meaningful, and... Um, what, what do I want my children to know, and what do I want us to celebrate? And I don't know about you, but growing up here in the Kootenays, my Christmases looked the same. We had the same ornaments, we had the same traditions, we, had, um, we knew what to expect, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. And then when I turned 17, I went to Kenya for the first time, and I worked in a children's home, an orphanage, and I remember waking up on Christmas morning at 5 a.m. and thinking, this is strange. Um, it was hot. I was cutting pineapple for over 100 kids for hours. And we had a meal, and we went to church, and that was it. And I remember thinking, this is, this is a really strange Christmas. Um, and since Kelvin and I have been married, we've been married nine years in a, couple, in a couple weeks, we have not had one Christmas that looks the same, not like I did when I was growing up. It's always looked different. And I always have to sit and reflect and think, what do I want this season to be about for my family? Because there are times where we are with family, there's times we haven't been. There's times we're in Canada or we've been in Kenya, we've been in the snow, we've been in the heat. We've had a tree, we haven't. We've had turkey, we've had shawarma. Uh, every Christmas has looked different. So what about it can I really bring into our family? And as I thought about it, I thought about last Christmas where 
We were in Mombasa in Kenya, and we always do a really big tournament, for those of you who know, and it finished on Christmas Eve. And so Christmas Day, we took the day to rest and relax as a family. We woke up, we had no tree, we had no presents for our children. Kelvin went out and got donuts and coconut beans, and we ate breakfast on the floor. And then in the afternoon, we went to Kelvin's family and had a dinner, I mean a lunch, and uh, Kelvin's family is always an adventure. He is one of 10 kids, and there's a lot of them. It's always an adventurous time. And then in the evening, we went to our best friend's house where we ate barbecue, and they have a pool, so we went swimming because it was in the heat. And we chatted all night long, and it's hot and sweaty, and we were being chewed to pieces by mosquitoes. And um, I tell you this because it's just so opposite of what happens here. And I remember at the end of that night, it was about 10 o'clock, uh, a really good friend who was the host, O'Neill, said to us, I feel like we need to sing. I feel like we need to, like we need to commemorate. We need to do something to celebrate Christmas because it's so strange. And the first song that came to my mind, now I'm not a singer, I'm not a worship leader, and neither were any of the people <laughs> at this party, was, um, Oh, come let us adore him. And so I started singing, Oh, come let us adore him. And we sang that verse. And the beauty about that song is you can keep going and you can make up whatever you want. We, we praise your name forever. We give you all the glory. You can keep going. And so we did that for a few rounds. And I think at the end of it, we all kind of looked at each other and it felt like we had realigned our hearts with what this was really supposed to be about. And it looks so different than what a lot of us grew up with or what the world celebrates, but just coming and saying simply, we adore you, realigning our hearts to adore him. And a few days ago, I was, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, we're, we're welcoming number Number three, I have not gained 40 pounds for nothing, um, but I am doing a lot of stretching to make myself feel better and to help everything, and I, I like to stretch and I like to put on music, worship music, and that song came on, and as I'm stretching, I had tears coming down my face of, oh, come let me adore you, God, in this season, and I think about all that's happened in this last year from that night that we were singing with our best friends by the pool to where we are today and how different things look. And for some of us that night, we had, this year has been immense heartbreak. Our family has gone through a lot. Our friends have gone through a lot. The world has gone through a lot. And yet here I am, a whole year later, still singing, Oh, come, let us adore him. And so my heart this season is that whatever your Christmas is looking like, wherever you are, whatever is new or different, whatever is worth celebrating or whatever is, worth, is hard, let us position our hearts and our minds to just come and adore him. And that, that, looks, that can look like anything. It doesn't have to be trees or presents. It can be stir-fry if you don't want turkey. It can be anything. Um, and so I guess my purpose in, our, in, in showing you our ministry today is that 
you would come and you would adore him and for what he is doing through us in Kenya and what he is doing through you guys as Junction Church uh, in Kenya. And I pray that your hearts would just adore him after, after I share a little bit about our ministry there. I think we can put up the slides now. It's been two years since we were here. Um, it's almost two years exactly since we've been back here to visit you. Um, and a lot happened in the last two years, so it's hard to figure out what exactly I want to share with you today. But when we left here two years ago, we were in a little bit of a state of uh, wondering where God was leading us next. Some of the programs that especially Kelvin had built were starting to really take off with, without us. Um, and our leadership was not as much needed. And then some of the things we had desired and planned to do were, um, the doors were just closing constantly. Um, the visions and the things we were pursuing just kept shutting in front of us. And so we really sat and went, okay, God, what, what do we do? At the same time, we have some friends on the other side of the country in Kenya who were run a medical ministry and their ministry was just exploding, and they were trying to keep their heads above water because there was just too much work. So they asked if we would come and join them, and so we did. We packed up our family, and we moved to a really, really rural community in Kenya, and we helped them with their medical mission. Um, this is just a fun picture of us. At, there's a really fun hike nearby that you can go hike with giraffes, and we did this multiple times. It was really wonderful. That's the one. Oh, maybe I'll turn it on. Okay. Part of the medical ministry we did was there were two clinics in a rural community. This was one of them, as you can see, and this was the second one. And part of our work this year was helping them as they have these two clinics up and running, but they also were in the process of building a massive 36-bed hospital in the rural community. Uh, Kelvin and I signed on the management team, and we helped to do a lot of, um, Kelvin especially worked a lot with the HR and our staff. Uh, this was Kelvin, I don't know if you can see him, he's the only one wearing, not wearing a white shirt, but um, Kelvin was instrumental in building the HR department, and when we arrived uh, almost two years ago, he, we had a staff of 11, and when we left this summer, we had a staff of over 50. And we're talking, uh, Tons of medical professionals, dentists, doctors, lab techs, but a lot of others like cleaners and um, care aides and all these people. But Kelvin was really instrumental in building our staff, doing a lot of team, team building as well as um, administration. Uh, this was a fun team building exercise we did just as the hospital was about to open. Kelvin also did a lot of administration. There's a lot of admin work in medical, <laughs> in medical care beyond just treating people. So he did a lot of the uh, license, licensing and business permits of all of our facilities, and uh, that was really fun. My main role was hosting all of our short-term visitors and volunteers. Uh, I think last summer we had, before COVID, we had probably 60 people visit in a span of six months from all around the world come and serve with us alongside our team. We did a lot of home visits, and part of my work was hosting the visitors in the village, which is no easy task, especially when your power goes out and your water goes out and your 
visitors don't know how to bathe in buckets and figure out how to light candles. And, but we did a lot of outreaches with our visitors, which I coordinated. And this was one special outreach we did. And the, the man in green is one of our favorite patients. His name is Wilson, and he has elephantiasis, which is where your legs swell up really big. And he comes to treatment at our clinics twice a week. And his face just radiates joy constantly. That's who he is. And he always loves visiting, and we love visiting with him. Um, this was a special outreach we did with uh, an unreached people group called the Ilchamus people. We did a first aid training for their Bible translating club, and then we hosted a, a one-day medical camp in a very rural community. Um, more visitors, lots of, um, this is a big medical camp we did just as we were about to open our hospital. This was a really special visit we did just a few months ago where Kelvin and our chaplain plus a nurse went and visited this mother who um, just had a really rough life. A lot of kids, very sick, um, HIV positive, no, no income. And uh, we did a, a really precious home visit with her. We were able to treat her, offer her some food and, and guidance. And at the end of the home visit, she actually, our chaplain led her in prayer so that she accepted Jesus. I show you this picture because our life, we lived in a really rural community, but our, <laughs> our daughters loved their life out there. Um, they learned how to uh, swing on tire swings. This is an old airplane tire from Samaritan's Purse. They, make out of, they made swings out of them. And um, the girls named all the chickens in the area, and they were kicked by cows. They learned not to get too close. And um, they, they honestly, they came in every day. We kicked them out of the house. They would come in at 5 or 6 o'clock, covered in mud, head to toe, having had just the best day outside. Um, but their, their, their life was, was pretty incredible out there. This year in March, uh, when COVID hit, uh, Kelvin and I were on the edge of getting really tired and burnt out. We had been working pretty hard without a solid break for over a year, and um, the country was locking down really quickly, and we were fearful that it was going to go into like full, full lockdown where we weren't be able to move. And the rural village we lived in was the opposing tribe to what Kelvin is. So Kenya is still very tribal. Um, and there's a lot of tension and conflict. And Kelvin's tribe, as well as the community, they're actual like strong political rivals. And often when things get tense in the country, um, it turns uh, tribal. So we were a little nervous about our safety, and we decided let's go and take a break. Um, in Mombasa, we decided to get out of the village and go to Mombasa. And we ended up getting locked down there for three months, getting stuck, not able to move. Uh, but it was a really big blessing because we were able to relax um, and spend some time as a family after a really long, a really busy year. Uh, we lived on the property of our clinics, so we were on call 24-7. We would have people in the middle of the night knocking on our door telling us that people needed to be seen or accidents had happened, and so we really needed a break. Um, we also just were able to do a ton of food relief, which I know many of you helped with. We were able to feed over 100 families. You know, in Kenya, a lot of people live hand to mouth. So whatever they make during the day is what was um, eaten at night. 
And when COVID hit and everything locked down, a lot of people really suffered not being able to really get their, their daily bread. So we did a ton of food relief to over 100 families with um, focusing a lot on single mothers um, who had a lot of children to provide for, which was beautiful. But our time in Mombasa also just felt like a bit of a calling back home because we, we love Mombasa. It is home to us. It is our, where our community is. It's where we feel drawn to. And God started opening up more doors for us to return back to Mombasa. Um, at the same time, we got pregnant and decided that uh, let's go back to Canada, have the baby, take some time before we return back to Mombasa in April. So we're coming up in a few months, we'll be returning back to Kenya. But we had a bit of a, over the last two years of our ministry, there was kind of this overarching theme that kept reoccurring in everything we did, and it was the theme of the one. And it stems from a visitor who came to visit and presented this idea that um, it stems from the passage of the shepherd leaving the 99 for the one. And uh, I really enjoyed singing that song this morning, Reckless Love, because it talks about how God chases the one down and leaves the 99. And that's exactly what this is about. It is this, this truth that God chases fiercely and passionately. He pursues just one person. He's willing to move mountains for one person. He pours incredible resources, incredible resources into just one person because that's how much he cares and loves for each of us individually. So this one person would know who he is, that they would know healing and redemption and restoration and his incredible love, and that he would be able to use this one person for his kingdom. I think about a lot of examples biblically of this, of Jesus, you know, he talks a lot in the multitudes, which is, and he's constantly surrounded by people. But he also, there's so many instances in the Bible where he picks out just one person. I think about the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, where he purposely goes out of his way into unknown territory, um, countercultural, to go meet this woman who, and offers her living water. Or I think about the lady who's been bleeding and, and just touches the hem of his garment, and he goes, um, who touched me? And his disciples are going, well, there's lots of people around you. Everyone's touching you. But he could feel that one person touching him, and he heals her. And so I could tell you numbers of everything we do. We, we, we have a lot of numbers in our ministry. There's a lot of kids who play in our tournaments. There's a lot of patients we saw this, this year that we treated in our clinics. But I want to share with you just a few people, just a few individuals that Kelvin and I have had the privilege to watch God really passionately pursue and chase over the last few years. And he's used us, and he's even used you guys as Junction Church to do that. This first one is um, Kevin. Kevin is in the white t-shirt there. He's the coach. And a few years ago, we hosted a training, a, a coach's training. Um, Kelvin, part of what Kelvin has done is created a organization of coaches in Mombasa. And we have trained them and empowered them, and we offer opportunities for them to go out and to reach the youth in their own communities. 
And Kevin is one of these. And out of all of our coaches, we, we have about 20 of them. And out of them, we have maybe two Christians. The rest of them are all Muslims. And Kevin is one of the sole Christians. And a few years ago, we did a, a big training. We brought in some really, really big coaches in the community, in the country. And all of our coaches got like FIFA certified training. It's apparently a big deal. I'm, this is not my forte, it's my husband's. But out of this training, quite a number of our, of our coaches have managed to do really well. Some have traveled, some have moved out of our organization and been in higher levels and gotten jobs. But Kevin, for him, I think this training was a big kickstart in his football career. And this training was largely funded by many members of the Junction Church. That's what I want you to hear, is that it was you guys who invested in this that really, pers that really propelled Kevin, especially, uh, moving forward. He started gaining more kids, more teams. He started winning the tournaments this year. He won our big tournament. And um, he got a job as a football coach. He's actually a soccer coach. His kids are now the best players. This was us. Uh, you might recognize those two white faces. That one is me, and one is our own Danielle Royer, who visited us a few years ago. And one of Kevin's kids were the recipients of our scholarship. And we were able to go visit him and his family. And he, his mother is deaf, and I think the father abandoned them. And so we were able to help him with school fees. And then, funny enough, the following year, his brother won the same award, and so we went right back to the same house and visited. And um, Kevin, this year, uh, well, last Christmas, I guess, Kevin called us up and said, I want you guys to be coming to my tournament. And we were a bit surprised about that. But Kevin managed to start his very own tournament, reaching even more kids, and he got local support, local sponsorship, and we were able to go to one of the final games and we watched how many kids he's pulled off. And the part of the, 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 the reason it's so amazing to have so many kids playing is that they are not in the streets doing drugs, they are not in the streets, there's a lot of terrorism in Mombasa, but they're on the field and they're playing and they have focus and they're under really strong mentors um, such as Kevin, people in the community who can mentor them. So we went to this big tournament where all the kids got these massive bags of food, and it was just such a beautiful thing. And we watched, we've watched the way that God has been using Kevin after this little training, or he's been working through him in what we've been able to provide for him to make massive impacts in his community. This young man is named Kadenge. We call him Kadenge. This picture was taken, if Kelvin looks kind of small there, it was taken, I think, even before we were married. But Kadenge has been in our programs for over 10 years now. And uh, we had someone sponsor him to go to agriculture school, which this is the graduation that Kelvin attended years ago. It's a Christian agriculture school um, where he was able to learned skills, but he also got discipled. And at the end, he actually accepted Jesus in the school. This was, I think, years and years ago. I think it was 2010 or something. Um, when he came back to Mombasa, he kind of disappeared because he ended up getting some girl pregnant and was a bit ashamed and then came back. And him and Kelvin worked on some agriculture projects for his family. Anyways, flash forward a few years later, um, 
in 2017, I'm walking on the beach. Mombasa is on the beach, just so you know. I know Troy and Danielle and Jesse and even James, they all know it's on the beach. We've all visited. Um, and as I'm walking on the beach, I hear this, Mrs. O'Peel, Mrs. O'Peel. And I look behind me and there's a guy like running after me really hard. And I'm a little nervous, but because he knows my name, I figure I might know this guy. Well, it's Kadenge. And he has this big smile on his face and he was so excited to see me. And we started talking and he has now a few children. He married the woman. He is running, he's, he's doing farming on his land and providing for his family. It was so wonderful to see him, but one thing that really had my heart sink was I could see right away that he was high on drugs. It was very common in Mombasa to be high on drugs, and, and it just kind of struck me, like, hey, God, we do so much for them, there's so much good, and yet there's still so many pieces that are broken and hard, and anyways... A few years later, after that, about, oopsie, wrong way. Two years later, I, I meet him again. He, he was at the soccer fields, and he comes up to me, and he goes, Ms. Opio. And I said, yes, Kadenge. And he goes, guess what? And I said, what? And he goes, I'm saved. And I was like, well, I actually said to him, I said, I thought you got saved at the agriculture school, like, years ago. He goes, no. He goes, now I'm really saved. And his face was full of light, and his smile was radiant, and he was not on drugs. And he started explaining to me how he had left all that life behind, and that he had completely surrendered his life to Jesus. And it was really cool, because it was like all these pieces that we poured into him, from school to mentorship, and then combined with everything else in his life, God brought him and pursued him and brought him to himself. And Kelvin went and met with him and asked him sort of, what happened? Like, how did this happen? And I guess God was using dreams to reach Kadenge. And Kelvin and I and his pastor from the agriculture school were in the dreams. So he was dreaming about us, and we kept telling him or encouraging him to accept Jesus, and he finally surrendered. And this is him today. Actually, no, this was, this was last year. This is one of his sons. And Kadenge is full of light. He constantly preaches in, in our community to turn to Jesus, to turn away from drugs. He does a lot of agriculture to support his family, and he has started his own little soccer teams in some of the neighboring villages in Mombasa. And so we often support him. I think we got him some balls, but he often asks for support. So we were able to give him balls and jerseys and stuff so he can be continuing to reach more and more young people. This is the final, final person I'll tell you about. This is Jessica. And if you get our emails, you might have seen Jessica before. But um, we met Jessica. She came into one of our clinics about uh, two years ago, and she had lost her hearing, almost all her hearing and her sight. And upon further investigation, we found out she had a brain tumor. Thankfully, it was not cancerous, but it was pressing so hard that she was in so much pain, and she was losing her hearing and her sight. And our team, we managed to find a neurosurgeon who could do the surgery. We managed to find all the funding we needed to do it. But then Jessica and her family completely disappeared. We couldn't find them. We couldn't reach them. And for months, she just was not turning up. Until one day, we decided we're going to go to find her. And Kelvin and myself, we took our chaplain and a nurse and our driver, 
and we drove, and we drove, and I don't even know where we were. It was so far. I think we hit Sudan. We were so far out of nowhere. Um, but we finally found her, and when we got to her house, her husband, um, we found, was completely drunk, 9 a.m. in the morning, and he had, he had resorted to selling alcohol to support the family because Jessica was unable to do anything. And we sat in that house. We gathered the rest of her family, and probably three hours in, we started, we, three hours, it took three hours of talking and negotiating, and I didn't do this. Kelvin did a lot of this. He sat with the family and explained to them and listened to their fears of her getting surgery and trying to explain to them that this is life-saving, that this will save her life. If you don't do this, you will die. She'll die. After three, four hours, we managed to convince them. I sat outside a lot, and this was a picture of her sitting outside while we were all talking, and she was in so much pain. She can't see me or hear me, uh, but I just remember her keep going like this and rubbing her head. She was just in so, so much pain, and I'm just so thankful that the, they, they decided to, to agree to do this. Um, thankfully, after that, we didn't let her go. We knew where she lived, so we kept following her. We managed to get her to the hospital. She did the brain surgery. It was successful. She was not able to get her eyesight, I think, back, just her hearing, because they had waited too long. So she still doesn't have her eyesight back, but when Kelvin went back for a follow-up visit a few weeks after, she actually sat and she did a, a dance and a song for them because she was so full of joy that she was feeling so, so much better. But out of this visit, um, we were noticed that our chaplain actually noticed that a lot of the children in the village were, had a ton of jiggers. And jiggers are these mites that dig into especially your feet and sometimes your hands, and they lay egg sacs inside your hands and your feet. And the only way to get them out is to actually go in and dig them all out. And often happens in areas where it's dirty and where kids don't wear shoes a lot. But this whole village was tons of these kids. So our, our chaplain asked, can we go do a jigger outreach? And I put the call out to many of you out here in the junction, and many of you donated. And we were able to go one day and treat, I think, about 30 or 40 children and uh, soaked their feet and spent a, quite a number of hours just digging, essentially digging bugs and eggs out of their feet. Um, we also were able to provide them with all new Crocs as well as socks so that they were able to be uh, go home healthy. <laughs> and uh, Kelvin, of course, <laughs> took the opportunity to gather the crowd and he was able to speak and, and speak God's word over them. And the man to the right is actually Jessica's husband, the one who was drunk, um, who I believe now has stopped drinking. And is, um, he's really actually a very big advocate for his wife and really cares for her. And he's been able to kind of dig himself out of the exact same depression. So that was, that was Jessica. Those are just a few examples. I, I wish we had more time and I wish I could see you all in person and that we could, I could share more stories. But those are just a few people that we've really watched God use us, use you guys as the church, um, even though you're so far away, and use others, use other people in his church to really pursue and to bring healing and love and redemption um, into some really dark, dark places. And so I challenge you that um, to really just ask God, how, how can you be used? 
to reach even just one person, whether it's through finances, whether it's through prayer or um, giving something, visiting, anything. Um, and also just to challenge you to, to understand the ways that God is pursuing you. We are also the one. We are also the ones that he loves and he pursues so passionately. And I can see so many ways, even in my own life, that God has spoken to me and pursued me uh, so that I may know him and his love. So like I said, we're going back in April, which I hope the church will open <laughs> before that so we can see you guys again. Um, and we are headed back to Mombasa. And a few things that we are going to work on next, like I said, um, we do a lot of soccer. You don't know us. You don't know my husband. My husband is a big soccer guy. And we've done a lot with boys' soccer. We've grown an organization to having 20 coaches with over... I don't know, 40 teams in the community and just reaching more and more youth. But now we're going to actually focus on growing girls' soccer. Um, when we started years ago, there was no girls playing soccer. And now our, we started introducing it into our tournaments, and we now are up to 13 teams of girls who come from all over Mombasa. And we, this last Christmas, after the tournament, we left out of the stadium where we play, and I watched my husband, get surrounded by the girls, these girls. This was our winning team last year. This was our winning girl team. They are fierce. They're, they're, they're borderline scary, but they are amazing. And they came, and they just surrounded Kelvin. And I sat, and I watched, and I guess what was happening was they were pretty much begging him to provide more opportunities for them. We are the only competitive league or competitive um, tournaments that they play in the entire year. There's nothing else for them. And so they really begged us and helped us. And soccer, especially for girls, is such an incredible way to help break some of the oppressive traditions that are in Mombasa, especially in a lot of our Islamic communities. It's, um, girls are very still very oppressed, and sports is an incredible way to, to bring them out and bring a little bit of freedom so that's where we're headed. Also, we have um, our year of spending in a medical ministry has only shown Kelvin and I how much we love medical ministry. And we've actually both gone back to university to study medical management and um, health services so that we can do more and do better in a, the healthcare field in Mombasa. And one area that we are going to start pursuing is maternal child health. This was something that, as we were stuck in Mombasa this year, we had, oh man, so many of our youth, because no matter how many of our youth are now giving birth, because they're not young anymore, but um, have really incredible, scary, difficult birth experiences. And one of them was this kid, this is Alan, and Alan is one of our longtime youth who Kelvin has spent so many hours mentoring and discipling, and... Um, him and his wife uh, finally got pregnant after years of infertility, and she had incredible complications. We got a phone call at 3 a.m. that she was in labor, and by noon, Alan was on the phone with Kelvin saying, I'm watching my wife dying because she's not doing well. And Kelvin was able to get to the clinic where they were, mobilize them to get to the hospital where she did a three-hour C-section, Kelvin and Alan sat in the car and talked and prayed, and thankfully, mom and baby are good and they're healthy, and they actually named the baby. This is actually baby Kelvin in there. 
So, <laughs> but we really want to start pursuing medical ministry, and that is, we want to start doing um, prenatal classes and prenatal care, and, and just see where God is going to lead us in that direction as that's become a passion and is a big need for the community we live in. We also just love Mombasa. We love our Muslim neighbors. We love engaging with them, and we want to continue doing life with them. So that's where we're headed. And uh, we really, we're sad that we're not here with you. We're thankful we were able to see so many of you the last few months. But we do want to connect with you. And uh, I know that COVID makes that difficult. And there's a few ways we can do that. Um, Kelvin and I spend or send out a monthly newsletter on what is happening in Kenya, as well as the ministry, how you can be a part of it, how you can pray, and updates and, and, and testimonies. Um, so if you want to be on that email list, I, you can email me. I don't know, maybe, Kelvin, you can put my email in the comments of the... I don't have my email up here. It's my name at gmail.com. So shoot me an email, and um, I'd love to put you on that list. We also have a private Facebook group that we try and update more personal things um, with some of our more closer supporters who can really pray and uh, stand and walk alongside of us. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your support, and uh, thank you for all that you do for us as a church. So many of you give, not only, but you are um, incredible supports. A lot of you email us. You are there when we call on you. You're there when we need counsel. And uh, we really, really appreciate everything that you do for us. So thank you.